Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now, here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. Hello, and welcome to the show. Got a lot to talk about because we've got the championship finals for the AFC and NFC and the NFL. Going to talk some college hoops as well because we had Duke take down Virginia. Also got to get into a little bit of the Premier League. But first, let's just start off with the absolute disaster that was the UFC debut on ESPN last night because... It was a weak card to begin with, which was part of the reason why I didn't feel like previewing it. And it lived up to be the unmitigated disaster that it was. So, to begin with, obviously coming into this, uh, there was a lot of talk about the fact that Greg Hardy was signed to the UFC in the first place. And not only signed, but was actually going to be the co-main event of the evening. Again, this is Greg Hardy. He of three actual professional MMA fights co-headlining a UFC event. Granted, it's not a pay-per-view. It's just a UFC fight night. But at the same time, you're basically using Greg Hardy to promote <laughs> a UFC event for the inaugural event on ESPN. I still... It boggles my mind that this was actually considered a good idea by the powers that be at WME, or if it came from Dana White himself. A, Greg Hardy's not experienced. B, there's the whole Greg Hardy's a a scumbag to begin with and beats on women. But hey, let's build an event around him when you're also featuring a woman who is also a victim of actual uh, domestic violence on the exact same card. That's not a conflict of interest at all. I mean, you know, it it was comical for it to even go down that way. But sure enough, they got Greg Hardy on the card. And Greg Hardy proceeds to gas himself out in the fight and gets himself disqualified for throwing an illegal knee. Yes, was he in a position to win the fight? Eventually, possibly. But the guy was so gassed that he threw the illegal knee because he didn't realize what was going on. Because, again... He was completely gassed and was just tired, so he was trying to get the guy out of the ring as soon as possible and got himself DQ'd for throwing an illegal knee. You know, again, just a mess because that was a fight where it was supposed to be basically setting up Hardy to make this massive run in the UFC against Tomato Cans to build up his record, and then you sell a pay-per-view. So now he gets a loss on his record, and you still have all the negative publicity for, you know, hiring Greg Hardy, and promoting him to the moon in the first place. So, bravo 
So, as I mentioned before, you know, uh, there was uh, Rachel Ostovich who made her UFC return after a domestic violence issue with her boyfriend at the time. Uh, she lost to Paige Van Zandt uh, uh, via armbar in the second round, I believe. But, uh, you know, this was supposed to be the feel-good story, which unfortunately got completely overshadowed by the whole Greg Hardy uh, circus that was going on with the UFC. But, of course... The kicker of the night, the one that the UFC built their whole promotional ad campaign around with ESPN, featured the main event bout between champion versus champion, and I'm using air quotes, uh, TJ Dillashaw, the bantamweight champion, versus Henry Cejudo, the featherweight champion, that I'm using with air quotes, because anyone who actually watched the Cejudo fight against Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson... Knows Cejudo did not win that belt. But besides that, you still have the fact that uh, since that time, not only did Mighty Mouse not get his well-deserved automatic rematch after numerous years of defending the featherweight title, the UFC literally trades Mighty Mouse to get rid of him because they were planning on closing down the featherweight division anyway because Dana White really wasn't interested in the division. Basically, T.J. Dillashaw was brought in to pretty much nuke the entire division by just blowing Cejudo out of the water completely. And by all rights and accounts, Dillashaw should have been able to do so. But one of the things that I was incredibly fearful of this fight was, A, Dillashaw wasn't nearly as big of a favorite by Vegas standards as I would have expected. And the line really didn't jump. Basically, the entire lead-up to this fight was Dillashaw trash-talking how much he was going to embarrass Cejudo and just smoke him. Anyone who's followed TJ Dillashaw's career knows that while he's extremely talented, he's also a complete and utter meathead. So when he gets overly confident, he usually gets his ass handed to him. Hence the whole issue with his loss to uh, uh, Dominic Cruz when he lost the uh, the bantamweight title to begin with. You know, the biggest thing that I saw out of all this is the fact that I was fearful of the fact that uh, Dillashaw would come into this way too overconfident and get himself into way too much trouble. Little did I know... That while I'm sit here, uh, uh, sitting with my bum knee, uh, stuck watching some of these uh, sporting events uh, last night, that sure enough, TJ, like the meathead he is, walks into not one, not two, but three straight right hands to the, <laughs> to his skull from Cejudo and gets his ass handed to him in less than 30 seconds because... While the fight was stopped a little bit early by uh, the referee, let's be perfectly honest, it was not a terrible stoppage. Based off of the fact that uh, 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 Kevin McDonald, the referee, basically just saw TJ just try to go for a single leg, but not do a whole lot else, at which point Cejudo kept teeing off on TJ. So yes, we got a main event bout around a guy who the USC was basically using in all their promotional footage with ESPN to build up as the next big thing, along with Conor McGregor and John Jones, and he gets his ass kicked in less than a minute. 
spectacular results. But the only thing that could top the embarrassment of this event going down the way it ended up going down in the main event was the post-fight reaction of TJ Dillashaw, which was actually longer in terms of a whining session than the actual fight itself. I'm going to play the clip right now because this is so ridiculous of a, a wine fest that I just had to play it uh, for, for the folks uh, uh, like you listening to the podcast. Here with TJ Dillashaw, we're fresh off of UFC Fight Night at Barclays Center on Saturday night. And TJ, thank you for coming and speak to, speaking to us. First off, is this something you wanted to do? Did you want to come out and, and, and address the media after the loss? Uh, sure, man. I mean, it, it's tough when it's taken from me, you know, so you got to at least... You know, win or lose, you got to be a good sport. You know, um, tonight was very unfortunate, but you don't stop a title fight like that. You don't, you don't rob 12 weeks of my work. You know, um, congratulations to the guy. I got respect for him. Uh, I'm happy for him for winning. But uh, look, that's but <laughs> it's not the way it goes down, man. I have worked 12 weeks to, to to push for this and for my legacy, and for me to hardly get clipped behind my ear. <laughs> single leg scrambling, and for you to stop the talk, stop a scramble. For a, not only a world title fight, but a champ for champ fight, it's just, it's uncalled for, man. It's uncalled for, and uh, that ref better hope I don't see him. <laughs> in, in that moment, I mean, are you only... Yeah, great job, threatening a ref. It's real smart. Hey, I'm, I'm working here, I'm working. Does that come come through your mind at all? Yeah, I heard him say, show me something. I said, I'm good, and I went on a single leg. He said, show me something, Dillashaw, I'm good, I'm on a single leg. What the... What am I to do? Did not happen. You're... Your reaction now to this, is it something that you appeal? Is it something that you speak to the New York Commission? Is there anything that you can do if once you feel a championship fight has been stopped too early? And I don't know. I don't, I've never even... I don't know, man. I've never even thought about that before. Um, I guess that's something i got to talk with my management about. And uh, this isn't over. I, I want this again. You don't take this work from me like that, you know? I mean, ESPN seeing how hard I worked for the last 12 weeks, um, the things I've done, um, the sacrifices I've made... Um, I want this again. But it, it shouldn't it shouldn't stop this way. Do you and your team ever, you know, look at look at the commission record and say, do you did you care? Did you know who was refereeing your title fight tonight? And did you have it? This was absolutely comical. I never looked into it. I've never no. I never seen the guy before. I don't know. Um, I guess I don't pay attention enough. What do you Clearly. Now, TJ. We do it at the end. We do it at twenty fives too. Why? <laughs> he already beat you. I worked too hard for it to be robbed. Like, I mean, man, like, I'm a good loser. <laughs> Clearly. But I've had so many losses in my career now, three of them, that have been taken from me. Um, and those ones are all lost clean. The ones that really dig deep. Last thing, can you just put it into words? How how hurt were you in that moment? If anybody who's like, yeah, TJ, maybe you had a leg, but you looked really bad, and the referee needed, he needs to step in, and, and he's doing it for your safety. How hurt were you in that moment? Not hurt. Bullshit. I'm the year with the right hand. Hardly you can watch it. Hardly you clipped. I know exactly what happened. I was there the entire time. Yeah, sure. I'm getting. I'm gonna. None of the grown man is gonna be pushing you to the ground, trying to hit you at the same time. Like, of course you're gonna be a little bit off balance. But I'm in a single league. Real impressive. I mean, it's pretty more ridiculous that I'm more experienced in the ref that's out there refing me. Yep. Uh huh. So there you have it. Lots of whining, and he threatened the referee. Brilliant move, TJ. Just brilliant. So, there you have it, folks. Uh, A guy who basically takes no admission of defeat in his loss and threatens the referee. Great guy to build your entire promotion around. 
Honestly, I would say I feel bad for the UFC, but they deserve everything they're they're getting at the moment. So uh, I'll I'll leave it there. I'll, I can have some more UFC talk another time. But let's get right down to it with uh, some of the college basketball that went on yesterday. Duke uh, ends the undefeated run by Virginia, uh, beats them in uh, Cameron, seventy-two uh, to seventy. It, I'll be honest, it, this one realistically was one of those uh, games where I kind of looked at it from the standpoint of, you know, it it was a game that, you know, I thought Virginia played well enough uh, to win for the most part, except for the fact that Duke's got Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. And (laughs) that's basically what it came down to. Uh, Like, Virginia produces uh, NBA players, but the problem is, is that Duke has legit NBA superstars of the future in Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. Uh, you, you know, there, there's just no getting around it. Like, Zion Williamson is a man among boys. It's not close. Basically, Williamson puts up 27, Barrett puts up 22. But the problem is the fact that Williamson is so strong that he can do whatever he wants. Like, there, there's a reason why people describe him as a baby LeBron. Because, you know, he's got LeBron's uh, physical physique and moves like a cat. It's it's ridiculous that a man can be that already built under the age of 22. Th- th- like, this is... I mean, he's not even... Uh, Zion Williamson, I, I can't... I still shudder to think... Because, like, typically with his uh, his body size, like, he's actually, I, I still think he's bigger than LeBron. Uh, like, Le, when LeBron came into the league, as crazy as that sounds, like, at age 18, Zion Williamson is, like, more swole than LeBron. And LeBron was a, is a, was a monster in his rookie year. Like, that's how crazy Zion Williamson is. So, again, for those of you who don't pay attention to college basketball until the March Madness uh, tournament in, in March, obviously, uh, Duke's really good. Duke should win the title. I don't see anyone beating Duke unless Duke just has an absolutely terrible game. It, I, I know for the, the Duke haters that that's like a fate worse than death, but, you know, I don't really see any other scenario where this plays out where Duke doesn't win. That's how good Duke is in terms of talent level. They're that much better than everyone else. It's not even close. So even if you play your A game, if you're Virginia, nine times out of ten, you're still going to lose that matchup against Duke. Even if it's a neutral site, it's it. I don't see them winning. Like Virginia played about as well as they can play. And they were still down double digits with two minutes to go. So, that's college basketball for you. The reason why I don't talk that much college basketball this year is because I think it's a foregone conclusion. But we'll see how it goes in March. But uh, it's tough. It's really tough. Uh, Watching college basketball and not saying that this is kind of pointless because Duke's going to win it. Anyway, uh, uh, talk a little college basketball. in the NBA yesterday, I just saw just further dysfunction from the 76ers. Trust the process, my ass. Uh, you know, the bottom line is the Philadelphia 76ers have a severe problem. And the problem is 
Ben Simmons can't shoot. Ben Simmons can't shoot. Markel Fultz is MIA and still can't shoot either. You got two high picks that can't shoot. Joel Embiid's a beast, but he's injury prone. And again, he got banged up uh, the other day uh, on Thursday night. Shouldn't have played. Gets into it with uh, uh, Russell Westbrook charging into him when he could have got himself further injured. Like, Embiid was a moron yesterday uh, because it was a flagrant foul on Russell Westbrook that the refs didn't call on him. And Russ did have a reason to be really pissed off at Embiid for going after him that way. Uh, you know, it was reckless by Embiid. Not only reckless and dangerous to uh, Westbrook, but it was dangerous to Embiid himself. He could, really could have gotten himself hurt going after him like that. But, you know, the problem is is that the 76ers management coddles these players. Like, Embiid is not held to task. You got Jimmy Butler doing whatever he wants to do because that's what Jimmy Butler does. You know, being a great player, but being a pain in the ass all along the way. You got Ben Simmons who can't shoot. Everyone knows he can't shoot so that anytime you get into crunch time, like yesterday, you got, you got a game where they're down two. Uh, uh, Simmons drives down uh, the baseline, gets caught because no one's biting on the fact that he's going to pull up and take a jumper. So he dribbles it right back out and feeds the defender to Jimmy Butler so that Jimmy Butler has to try to hit a game-winning three-pointer over two guys. Because Ben Simmons led his defender back to it. Because what defender is really going to be afraid of Ben Simmons' jump shot? You play for the drive, and you give him space to take the jump shot. Ben Simmons does not have the confidence to hit a jump shot, so he's going to revert to either drive to the baseline or hand it off to someone else. He handed it off to Jimmy Butler, and it was a terrible shot selection because Jimmy Butler had no other chance to do with less than a second left. Like, Ben Simmons gave him no option other than to just to jack up a three. You know, I don't expect know what the 76ers expect out of the playoffs, but come time when they actually have to play Boston or Toronto, they're going to force Ben Simmons to try to shoot the ball in crunch time. And the 76ers better have an answer because otherwise they're going to go home. There's no way they're winning a seven-game series against a competently coached team that you have between Toronto and Boston and even if they go up against a team like the Pacers, do you think the Pacers are going to let Ben Simmons beat him going to the baseline and dunking on him? No, they're going to force him to take jump shots. The The Eastern Conference is not that bad this year. as like Compared to most years, the Eastern Conference is not actually that bad. They actually The teams have actually gotten better. Like The middle part of the Eastern Conference has actually gotten a little stronger. So, no, the 76ers cannot coast their way through uh, the regular season and then hope that they can just figure it out come playoff time. They actually have to work on some of their deficiencies right now. But uh, be that as it may, we'll we'll see how it it continues on. But uh, I did not like what I saw out of the 76ers last night. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's going to come to a head sooner than later because... You know, the more they try to drag that out, the more it's going to blow up th- in their face because uh, they they cannot figure out a way of uh, of get, of getting themselves into a better spot uh, as a team. It's just not it's not working uh, with the 76ers. They're winning enough 
but they're not actually winning the games that they need to win. And that's the biggest problem uh, with the uh, with the squad. They 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 actually have to figure out uh, uh, a better way of going about it because, uh, you know, as it stands, uh, they are easily going to get themselves knocked out of the playoffs. It's, it's not close. It's really not that close at all. Meanwhile, in other NBA news, James Harden is still unstoppable given the rule changes as he goes off for another 40-plus point barrage as the Rockets take down the Lakers 138-134 in OT last night. You know, what else is there to say? You can you can blame the rules, you can blame the flopping, but the fact of the matter is James Harden has exploited the rules and you know what? If it is what it is, uh, he is within the rule book. He's doing everything he's supposed to be doing, and he's crushing everyone. So, if you don't like it, get the NBA to change the rules again to allow the hand checking because that's really the only thing that's going to stop James Harden at this point. Unless you're going to throw a double team and let his teammates just score at will, one on one coverage against Harden is not a viable option, to be honest, the way he's playing right now. Maybe he runs out of gas, maybe he gets tired, but right now, he is just owning everyone. It doesn't really matter who he's up against, because he's been doing it against everybody. Nothing's changing, uh, de- depending on the defensive matchup. It's it's just uh, it's a non-starter. He, he's, he's bringing it to everybody, so uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's a, he's a front-runner for MVP right now. All right, so let's get right down to it. Uh, talk to talk to USC. You got some basketball out of the way. Let's get into the football. You know, I've been saying it before. I'll say it again. Uh, in terms of the betting, I would stay away from the Pats Chiefs game. To be honest, unless you're fully prepared to bet on the Pats, because the way I see it. The second time around, New England usually gets better against teams, not worse. And the problem I have with this Chiefs team is that in a coaching matchup, I have far more confidence in New England being able to shut down the Chiefs offense than the Chiefs being able to completely disrupt New England. And yes, I know the Chiefs defense plays better at home, but my fear for uh, this New uh, England-Kansas City game is the fact that this game goes well under and that it turns into a tactical battle between the Patriots and the Chiefs. Because I will always trust Brady and Belichick in a tight-knit game where you need to execute very minor details in order to keep drives alive and just grind down the clock than I have any confidence in an Andy Reid-led team. It's just a simple fact of the matter. So if you're not prepared to bet your money on New England, stay away from the game. I'm telling you because I've seen all these expert picks go uh, Chiefs minus three and, and it's over 60%. And like, that's never a good trend. I'll be perfectly honest. Like, the betting, uh, the total bets are coming out on the Chiefs around that range where 60, it's it's uh, right uh, right now, this as of this morning, it's, uh, it's around uh, 55. And it seems like it's inching up because earlier in the week it was uh, – it was a lot more even, so now it seems like more people are like the, as Joe Joe Public gets more active into betting uh, as the course of the weekend goes on. More bets are coming in on the Chiefs, but the money, the total money wagered on the game, is still even. 
anytime I see that, that tells me that most of the sharp money, meaning the expert bettors that bet the most money, are betting New England, and that it's the casual fans that are betting on the Chiefs in unison, and I, I just don't like it. I do not like this at all. It's like I'm seeing bets come in on the Chiefs. I don't like where this is trending. Uh, to me, this screams New England figures out a way of slowing down Kansas City. I don't think they shut them down completely, but I do think they, they can give uh, Patrick Mahomes fits. And I believe me, I've been thumping the, the case for Mahomes for MVP the entire way through. This changes nothing about that. He is the MVP. The problem I have with uh, New England against Casey is the fact that they've already seen him before. Anytime New England gets a chance to see you, it's never a good thing. So the fact that they were able to shut him down for the first half last go-around and he was able to figure out second half, that's encouraging. But I think New England takes more lessons from what he was able to do against them in the second half uh, than uh, anything else. So... Uh, long story short, I think it's going to have to come down to a case of, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to find something special to do, but at the same time, the Chiefs have got to be disciplined because what I think the Pats are going to do well is that they're going to go small and try to uh, use the speed rush against Kansas City and disrupt their rhythm. So that means you're going to have more undersized backs in there using different blitz combinations to try to trip up Mahomes. So usually to counter that, you want to go power formation and actually run it down their throat. So this is one of those where I want the Chiefs to actually say, we're just going to run the football early and not pass. I, I would rather them not drop back with Mahomes so much and just kind of focus on the run. Because to me, if they can go uh, go forward with a, a strategy of limiting uh, the amount of and I know they, they, they don't want to do this because this is New England's MO, but you got to flip the script on New England. New England's not going to expect them to grind it out on the run game either. So to me, if you go unexpected and catch New England off guard, that's the best way of beating New England. You like you kind of have to go the way that uh, Philly went with it by flipping the script on them and doing things that they're not expecting you to do. That's the best way you can actually beat the Patriots is by forcing them into situations where they're like kind of wondering, oh, wait a second, how do we game plan this incorrectly? You have to change the narrative where you're actually going uh, contrary to what they were expecting you to do. The, the Pats are going to be expecting uh, Mahomes to drop back multiple times and, uh, just to, and to, just to try to throw the ball all over the place. And they try to go that route. I, I fear for uh, Kansas City getting stalled and... Because I think New England is expecting, you know, every once in a while, Mahomes going to uncork one. And yeah, he'll hit a home run shot. But at the same time, I still think that New England's willing to accept that from time to time. Because overall, they know they're going to shut them down with the speed rush. So that's my fear for Kansas City. I think Kansas City's got to be able to, uh, has has, has got to be able to do, uh, Everything they can to kind of keep New England off balance in terms of what they're going to try to approach them with. And my my biggest thing with New England is I just think that they're going to try to uh, take Kelsey out of the game. Uh, and for the most part, by trying to use the speed rush on them, 
they keep Tyreek Hill out of the game because he won't. Uh, they won't allow Mahomes to get enough time to throw the ball deep down the field. I also think the other guy you got to look out for in this game is Sammy Watkins. Shockingly, Sammy Watkins is healthy for this game. I couldn't believe it when I saw the injury report this morning that Watkins has absolutely zero injury designations. But, you know, besides Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins can get down the field and damage New England. I mean, that's where you hurt New England is with speed. So if you can get them to respect the run and then pop one over the top, that's how you can hurt New England with the play action. So uh, my perspective, like, if Kansas City is going to win this game, they're going to have to do it with being disciplined and then take their shots down the field because that's the way uh, they can best hurt New England. But they got to be disciplined first. If they try to force the issue by throwing the ball over the place, it's it's going to be rough starting out. That's just the way I kind of look at this game uh, from the outset. But if I was to bet on this one, which I'm not looking forward to, I'm taking New England here uh, plus three. It, it, to me, this one screams... Uh, New England's going to figure out a way of winning this one. Whether anyone likes it or not, they'll be back in the Super Bowl again for Super Bowl 53. So uh, that's the way I see uh, the AFC going. As far as the NFC goes, this one's interesting because I like the Saints to win, but I don't really trust the Saints to uh, cover three and a half. So I see this being a really close game, even though... And I think it's going to be the flip side of what happened last week against Philly. I think the Saints get off to a good start this week, and then the Rams actually catch on. Because I think the biggest issue for the Rams is the fact that their run game probably isn't going to take off early on in the game. Uh, I think they'll struggle just uh, with uh, the way the Saints' uh, uh, run defense works. But I do think without Sheldon Rankins, who... uh, uh, basically is uh, done for the year and might be done uh, past the training camp next year, which is a big loss for the Saints, you know, with that Achilles injury. I, I just think that the the, uh, the Rams, if they stay patient with the run and the play action, will eventually get to the Saints' defense. The, tr- the thing is that the Saints, if the Saints can uh, put points on the board early, and actually get touchdowns, they can put this game away early. I'm just not sure, just from what I saw from Drew Brees last week, I kind of think, part of me feels as though Drew Brees' arm is getting tired, and no one wants to say it in the media, because everyone wants to be Drew Brees' friend, but I'm just saying it's like, as much as I love Drew Brees, like, the zip on the ball really wasn't there last week, so... I kind of need to see a little bit more from Breeze before I'm fully committing to the Saints covering that spread. So with a three and a half spread, I got to take the Rams here because, you know, even though I don't think they're going to win the game, I think they keep it close enough where the Saints have to rely on the last last second field goal from Will Lutz to win the game. You know, it's just one of those where, you know, I, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable betting the Saints outright i feel more comfortable betting new england outright than i do the saints outright if that makes any sense even though the saints are the home team i don't really feel that comfortable betting on the saints outright i'll do it for picks pulls but if it's a spread pick i'm taking the Rams uh, plus three and a half it's just one of those where i feel this one's gonna be razor thin i really 
really do not feel comfortable taking the Saints to cover that line uh, sufficiently. I, I just don't have it in me. I really don't. That's my biggest concern with this game is that I, I could easily see this game being coming down to a field goal at the end, and that's it. And, you know, this, uh, the, the Rams will cover it even if they lose the game. So, you know, and I'll, I'll say this one uh, other bit too. The, the Rams, and and because uh, I'm going to get into this for the DFS piece, I I don't think the Rams are doing this dual quarter. Uh, I mean, dual running back by committee with Anderson and Gurley because they want to save preserve Todd Gurley. I do think Todd Gurley has a legitimate injury that the the Rams are fearful that if they use him in between the tackles on some of these plays that he's going to aggravate it further and he's going to be dumb for the playoffs. I think that's the biggest issue. Now, I could be wrong, but. To me, Gurley hasn't looked like Gurley, even in the runs that he did have against Dallas. Like, Gurley looks banged up. So, I don't know what's actually in the tank for Gurley. But my biggest concern is playing Gurley in DFS because Gurley is still priced up like he's Todd Gurley, and he's not. So, that's my biggest fear right now is that the amount of money on a two-game slate paying up for Todd Gurley doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I wouldn't recommend anyone doing it uh, for DFS purposes, uh, you know. But from my perspective, this is a this is an interesting case of, uh, you know, from a DFS slate standpoint, I could see both of these games going under. And, you know, I'm not even sure who to pick from a, offensive standpoint because again uh, cj anderson uh, i think is a factor that no one's really talking about i think cj anderson could easily vulture a touchdown from Gurley because like i said i don't think the rams are all that comfortable running Gurley in between the tackles uh, and you know if it comes to a goal line situation and there are a bunch of guys that are gonna be meeting them at the line you know are the rams willing to risk that i'm not entirely sure now in terms of guys that I know have performed well in the playoffs and can step up, uh, I like Brandon Cooks. I like Michael Thomas because basically if Michael Thomas doesn't have a good day, the Saints are really going to struggle in the passing game. So it's like if you're playing Drew Brees in DFS, you have to have Michael Thomas. There's there's no getting around it. It's like, uh, you know, it's it's the required play if you're playing Drew Brees is to stack him with Michael Thomas because if you don't, uh, it's an idiotic play to play Drew Brees without Michael Thomas. Uh, even with Ted getting back in the mix, uh, Michael Thomas is still Drew Brees' number one option that he's going to go to 75% of the time. So he's going to see the lion's share of targets. So it doesn't make any sense uh, doing it otherwise. So uh, in terms of the DFS plays, uh, you know, I really want to say that maybe New England gets Gronk involved, but I don't know. It's really hard for me to make a case for a lot of these guys in the DFS slate because I could see these games going a couple of different ways, but I don't really have a great feel for how New England's going to produce points. Uh, same way as I don't know where... The points are going to come from for KC because of how New England may attack uh, uh, the KC offense. I could see uh, New, uh, New England shutting down Kelsey 
just to focus their efforts on making Mahomes try to beat him with home run throws by taking away the middle of the field with Kelsey. So, you know, again, there are enough, uh, there are enough uh, situations where I could see uh, these uh, DFS games going a whole number of ways. But at the end of the day, I just think that, you know, realistically, I'm probably going to go with uh, the likes of Brady and maybe Mahomes as my QB. You know, I I don't like Breeze necessarily, and I'm not big on golf either. Again, with it just being a two-game slate, it's hard to kind of make – uh, you have to kind of make judgment calls with some of these players. So, uh, you know, I can I can get the only reason why I would get behind golf would be as if you're trying to save money for other players. But with the pricing on some of these players, you can fit pretty much everyone in. It's just like figuring out like how you want to go about it. So, you know, I'm not I don't like Ingram at all. I think you, you know you play Kamara only if you're playing uh, the Saints backfield. I do think C.J. Anderson is a legitimate threat on the Rams side because, like as I said, I don't think Gurley's healthy. So I do think C.J. Anderson's a, a definite play there if you don't want to play Gurley. And like I said, I'm going to be underweight on Gurley because I don't think he's healthy. And, you know, I don't want to pay up that much and have him not put up the numbers to uh, justify uh, the price tag you're, you're definitely going to be paying uh, with him. That's... That's the problem. So it, it, it's it's a it's a tricky tricky mess here because again I can see definite scenarios where you need to have uh, some luck on your side if if you're gonna uh, if if you're gonna have a decent day at the office and my 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 fear is that uh, you know it's gonna be low scoring game so. I don't know where the points are going to come from. Uh, and uh, it's a very, it, that's a very fearful place to be in for like a couple of championship games. Uh, if you don't know where the points are going to come from. So uh, it could easily swing uh, in a couple of different directions. So uh, I, like I said, I don't, I don't really have a great feel for these games. And that, that terrifies me quite a bit. So uh, I'll leave it there, but uh you know, it could very easily swing in an entirely different direction. It's just that I don't have a great feel for uh, most of these uh, most of these teams. It because I I can easily see uh, scenarios where uh, teams that should uh, should have been able to put up points uh, just didn't get it done, and you know. It, it's as simple as that. It, it, it's like so, some of these games could easily go uh, in a in an entirely different direction, and there's no way to course correct. So uh, you know, again, uh, you know, if you're if you're gonna play DFS today, you gotta stack one game or the other, uh, and hope for the best. But uh, yeah, I. You know, again, it's it's more along the lines of if Michael Thomas has a bad day, Drew Brees is going to have a bad day. It, it it's almost impossible for Drew Brees to have a good day throwing the football if Michael Thomas has a bad day. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I'm just 
I'm, I'm just being honest here, folks. So, like, I don't have a great feeling for some of these games, and it could easily go into a situation where uh, some of these games uh, get real ugly. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, I'm very curious to see how everything plays out because uh, uh, it it very easily could be a scenario where uh, you you've got the Patriots playing uh, New Orleans in the Super Bowl, but it's painful championship games that we're watching today. Uh, because, uh, like I said, I don't see the, I don't see the over hitting in either game. That's just me. But uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out uh, at the end of the day. But uh, uh, keep your eyes peeled for the games today, and uh, we'll see, we'll see what we what we come up with. But uh, hopefully, we get some entertaining matchups here. Uh, overall, that that's that's always the goal at the end of this is to be thoroughly entertained by the game. So. Uh, Have a good one, everyone, and we will check back to see the aftermath of everything that transpires today. So have a good one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.